Today I'm talking to Nicole Pauly, who's a traditional Chinese medicine practitioner. I've been really curious about what is the TCM approach to treating perimenopausal symptoms, menopause, postmenopausal symptoms. How do they view it? Do they even have a word for it? Um, so I invited Nicole in to talk to her about it. It's a really interesting conversation. Uh, Nicole works broadly with a whole range of patients, but she has a special interest in women's health. And so she tends to work with a lot of women around birth uh, and the perimenopause through to menopause transition. Enjoy. Okay. Hi, Nicole. How are you? Hi, Kelly. I'm really good. Thanks. That's great. So today, Nicole and I are talking about a traditional Chinese medicine view of midlife and menopause. Um, Nicole's a TCM practitioner and we met through um, acupuncture really. She gives me acupuncture regularly and she's really good at it and it's been really, really helpful to me. Um, Nicole, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and what you do and also what, you know, what does a traditional Chinese medicine practitioner, what do they do? Um, I guess I've been a uh, doctor of Chinese medicine for more than 10 years. Um, it was something that I came across probably by accident when I had, um, I'd been living overseas, come back home and thought I want to do something involving people, uh, caring for people. And I started off studying at um, a naturopathic degree. And uh, my first semester, I had a, um, a lecture on Chinese medicine and acupuncture. And literally a bell dings off in my head as though this completely makes sense to me. It's a theory and a system um, that is though it's very inherent and um, I changed from there. It took me quite a number of years to become a practitioner because I had a couple of children in between, not recommended, but um, that's what life <laughs> was for me then. I also um, um, am an educator for childbirth. And that's been a passion of mine, uh, particularly from having children, but also from working with a lot of women um, in Chinese medicine. And I see that women lack knowledge, um, well, good knowledge. We can get information anywhere. And that seems to be the issue that you can get it from anywhere. Um, and it's not always the greatest sources. And what I recognise is that people were getting information which wasn't really helpful and uh pretty much puts people on the back foot in terms of birthing and that leads to all sorts of things as you know in terms of uh, problems postpartum um, moving into um, later adulthood all of those things so the female form has been something that I've been very much interested in uh, particularly I've got three girls and I have a son as well and I think that little mix um, has shown me that women not, are not only very powerful but They've got a lot of things to do in this world and there's lots of things I'd love to change and I think starting in my own home is one of them but becoming more knowledgeable about um, different types of um, women we're not the same we have to remember mm. that that we're all individuals and we view life in different aspects we're essentially made of the same but we've got different things that make us um, that bring us all together so being able to work um, with 
like-minded women is has been something that I've recognised is quite I'm quite passionate about, and so finding you has been um, mm-hmm. a really nice thing. Yeah, it's lent me in many different directions. Yeah, and and tell us about like what do you do in, in TCM? So just what does a traditional Chinese medicine doctor do? My main um, aspect probably would be acupuncture. So tiny, fine um, little pinpricks into the body. We're working uh, according to a theory. So um, the theory can be quite dynamic. It can be also quite amazing and it's very broad. One size doesn't fit all. And that's what I love that um, as human beings, as I said, we're very much individuals and each person is treated exactly like that. And I think that's the significance of it, that have five women with menopausal symptoms. I'm not going to treat them the same. There might be a couple of points that might be the same, but generally they're different. There's herbal medicine as well. Um, I also use supplements a fair bit. I love um, moving into the other spaces such as uh, meditation, uh, food is a huge aspect. Uh, food has worked very differently according to Chinese medicine and Western medicine. And I love yeah. that difference. Calories are not of significance. Quality of food absolutely is the type of food. It works on energetics. That's yeah. That's what Chinese medicine is about, energetics. And um, that scares people because when we say qi, when we say energy, you, don't, you can't see that. Yeah. Um, you can feel it. Yeah, um, recognize it and it's really about very much being in touch with yourself and I think if all of those aspects are used consistently and as a preventative and as a maintenance um, people become very much in tune with themselves they they recognize things before they happen um, mm. and that's the point if we can prevent disease well then you live a better life you know the sages back in 2000 years ago if anybody ever got sick well they were probably burned at the stake or they were at least sacked because they didn't do their job properly they didn't prevent disease we yeah. do the opposite here where we have to work in a different way but that's great in the sense that it gives me the opportunity then to educate and encourage people to take responsibility for themselves because a lot yeah. of time we don't do that it's here's the doctor you take this, this is your problem, here's the name for it, and then we go and live with that. Mm. You don't have to do that. So I think it comes also down to creating some confidence and um, the ability to say, I, I don't want that. I'm going to change it. Sorry. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I love yeah. That. And I, I, I think that um, one of the things that I have loved about working with you is, is that... Um, bespokeness I guess and so you know when I come in you yeah you listen to my uh you look at my tongue and you take my pulse and you're like okay this is what you need today and it kind of reminds me of being a coach a little bit right because I don't apply the same stuff to people all the time I'm like looking at each person on an individual basis and like okay what would be the most helpful thing for this person at this point in time um, and where do we go and, and, and move with whatever energy is within them. But um, it strikes me that um, one thing you see a lot of um, maybe in groups of women who are going through menopause, also birth as well, is that people feel that doctors don't listen to them. Yes. Um, or so the thing that I love about your approach is that people do feel heard right and they feel because of the that you are focusing on them as an individual i think that's a really not just important. 
aspect, yeah, being listened yeah. to. Um, there's lots of studies that show that um, what women want a lot of in their care, and this is particularly noted in childbirth, um, they want to have choice. And yeah. choice means being listened to and being heard and being able to say, I actually want to birth like this. Is this okay? And if it's not, there's a negotiation or you go find somebody else. But choice is number one. And it's pretty much across the board of everything where generally going back to birth, it would be about comfort and safety. Um, and they're mm. really important things. But if we can be listened to, if we can be heard, then we feel like our needs are being met. It's like anything though. It's listening to a child. It's listening to the client who's uh, on the table. They're upset and allowing them to say what they need to say. That's all it is. Life really isn't actually that difficult if we can just stop and listen, you know, get out of our own heads and uh, be able to give somebody that. That's, yeah, the mainstay, I think. So um, what is the traditional Chinese medicine view of menopause? Do they even have a word for it? Or what is there a narrative around supporting that rite of passage from a TCM perspective? We, you would already know all the different names that come with menopause and they're probably pretty derogative, you know, the change of life, the change, the passage, the migration, middle age, the changeover. Um, there's a couple of words that I also recognise, uh, climatric, um, which is, you know, that's essentially that ability where your fertility drops. Mm-hmm. Um, it also actually means, I, I looked this up in the dictionary, a period of maximum respiration in a fruit during which it becomes fully ripened, which is a really nice explanation because essentially in Chinese medicine, we look at it as the second spring. Um, mm. The second spring is not something that you that gets thrown around. I don't hear that a lot in TCM circles. Um, but I like it because it's really talking about a transitional stage. And that's exactly how I look at menopause. It's moving from another phase into a better phase. And, you know, in old China, they talk about it as absolutely a midlife stage. Um, but it's about a really big shift in energy. And because the, the woman has been through that moment of caring for a family, caring for others, moving things along. Um, and now she's getting the passage with all the wisdom and all the wiseness to actually move into her own. So she essentially becomes something along the lines of, um, or the equivalent of the old sages or, or an emperor. Yeah, mm. her knowledge of life is something that um, they desire. So the second spring is absolutely about, um, you know, using your wisdom of all your years of, of um, caring for others and moving into more of a, uh, a renewed or another purposeful part of life. So um, second spring sounds lovely to me rather than mm-hmm. we're talking about, I don't know, there's other words, wise woman, midwife. Um, I've even read it as being your barren, your um, without significance, your dull. Um, it's to me, I like to think of it as um, an odyssey, if anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Second spring sounds quite magical and soft, doesn't it? But for me, it seems... Odyssey is like being a bit more passionate and a bit more inviting. Um, we don't view we don't view ourselves like that. Reproductively, women um, have been taught to think of themselves very poorly. Um, but if this is anything for women to go by, then we should be looking at the second spring as an adventure. Um, yeah. Being open to new experiences because it absolutely is a transition and a change of life. But 
for whatever reason, it's looked at as quite negatively. And I'm sure you would hear that. You would get that reference to as being a shitty part of life. I think so. But I think um, I, I like... So, so one way I explain it is I say to people, it's your you're opening up to the fullest feminine expression of who you are. Yeah. And so, you know, when you were mentioning fully ripened before that kind of resonated with me Absolutely. about that, because it's like, yeah, okay. Like into the, the, the strength, all the strength of their feminine. Yep. And I think that in the, the corporate world, for instance, in a, in a lot of organizations, I would even say in the medical system, we're very much in our masculine a lot. Oh, and so, yeah, it's just that do, 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 strive, 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 getting stuff done all the time. Hierarchical. Even all the, you know, if I think of all the years that I've worked in leadership development, most of the models that you look at, it, they're, they're in terms of development, they are an ascension from a hierarchical complexity perspective. So there's an increase in consciousness. But, you know, to me, that has always felt incredibly masculine. And, you know, we look at all the different ways that we're starting to communicate now using circles, um, deepening into the heart. And that seems a more feminine approach to me. And it strikes me that if you can um, move in that direction from a developmental perspective or think in that direction. I think I'm just obsessed with circles as well in general. But even, <laughs> from a, even from a, um, a power perspective in organisations, like in hierarchies, energy only has one way to move and flow. We're in circles, it just moves everywhere. Um, so the feminine is more complex, there's more flow. And, you know, it strikes me that working with that um, brings a quality that we just don't have a lot of in the world. Um, the main thing that I see, I guess, is in midlife, and, and this is why I chose to sort of niche my business in this area because I you know, did leadership coaching for a long time, is that a lot of people start to unravel when they hit their 40s. And I feel like it's just a natural part of your developmental journey and that it's healthy and that you're starting to question, but it's your capacity to be with that energy and emotion of that unraveling and understand what is actually going on and not try and externalize it. And so it gets externalized because people seek mm, an answer to that feeling or that um, disruption, disequilibrium that is coming from inside through an external source, whether it's alcohol, drugs, having an affair, just kind of generally going off the rails rather than leaning in inward and really trying to explore what that is because it's it's just a sign of change, right, that, that something needs to change, that dis- I call it disequilibrium, yeah. Um, it's like putting it back of, of the onion, isn't it? And you're discovering, yeah. you know what, there's something there I'm really unsure of. I don't know how to work with that. Um, Absolutely, you know what, um, I think if women understood their bodies better, what their hormones do, what they're supposed to do, the function of them, then they recognise yeah. how, um, you know, when we are a little bit mentally challenged around those 40s, it's telling you that you need to do something, but it's also yeah. a representation of what your progesterone is doing as an example. So yes. it's not 
it's not as if it's anything new, but I guess we're, we're not taught to accept. Or question, possibly. I mean, we all know that our hormones change all the time, mm. but we know so little about it. We're not really educated and all mm. the knowledge is held with a lot of doctors. And so um, when people start to and, and not that you have to become an expert in hormones i'm not saying that but when you start like when you when you learn oh progesterone is the calming hormone <clears throat> oh okay that might explain if my progesterone is decreasing maybe that's why i'm feeling really like all over the someone dies out yeah 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 so so from a tcm perspective when we start on that perimenopause trajectory what is going on with hormones, with our pelvic floor, stress, what nervous system? What are the things that you see? Um, I guess the important part to remember, and particularly when we're moving into transitioning into those different phases of life, that perimenopause and menopause is not a disease. Yeah. It's illness. And it's a bit like, talking about how our bodies function. I think we are given the wrong impression about what our hormones do, that um, we can talk about estrogen, we can talk about progesterone, and certainly they're things that I will talk about with clients because I think where they're coming from is from a Western aspect. For me, I have to flip it all the time and translate it. But if we're talking about it from a Chinese medicine point of view, we're talking about the same thing. We just got a decline in the way that our body functions. It's about yin and yang. And if we go yeah. back to that analogy that you keep talking about circles, that's how yin and yang works. It's the interconnectedness. It's continuation. Uh, we need to have that continual flow. So we look at uh, the yin is uh, declining, the yang is rising. And so we get a, an imbalance. And we'll never ever have a complete balance of yin and yang because essentially, well, you could say that would be death. We need to be constantly fluctuating, but we need to also recognise that it's not just the human body that is affected. It's outside of us. It's our social life. It's our work life. It's the environment, the weather. I mean, Melbourne is nuts in terms of weather. So the ability to accommodate um, a hot, windy day one day and then the next day is a 12-degree pouring rain um, hailing day um, no wonder we're all over the place, yeah? Hormonally, we are a little bit, um, I really want to swear, um, <laughs> we can't accommodate quick enough. And so when we're in, moving into perimenopause, same thing is happening, but we're being impacted by our outside life as well. So the yin and yang become a little bit out of harmony, yeah? We essentially would talk about the kidneys, the kidneys are the foundation, they're about development, it's what helps grow babies, it helps have good periods. Um, if we have good kidney, what we would call jing, that comes from our parents. So uh, preconception and conception are essential that you're in a healthy state so that you can live your life as a great human being. And when you're an adult, we have limited disease or we can fight off those sorts of things because our jing is strong. We mm -hmm. waste our jing um, mm. by excessiveness um, and that could be anything from excessive drinking overeating under eating um, so many screens 
screens, they hurt my brain thinking about them. Um, yeah. The way we live our lives. So, so just to clarify, Jing is sexual energy in TCM. So Jing, Qi and... Yin and Yang. Yeah. Yeah. They're the basis. Plus blood. You need blood as well. Yeah. 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 Those become in disharmony. But essentially the yin and yang of the kidneys, which is yeah. not the Western kidneys, it's the Chinese medicine ones, it becomes yeah. out of balance. Yeah. And what about the liver? Because I know the liver plays a big role in filtering, processing. And, of course, if our hormones are changing all the time and it's got to filter that as well, that puts a lot of pressure on the liver. Can we talk a little bit about the liver? The liver, you could look at it very similar to the Western liver in that it is about filtering, metabolising, all of those things. Yeah. Um, in a very basic level, we look at the liver as ensuring that the chi in the body is uh, running very smoothly. And so if the chi runs smoothly, then the other organs in the body will function nicely. Um, if the chi is a little bit stuck, if it's erratic, I mean, it's related to the emotion of anger and frustration, resentment. If we have those capacities going on in our body, then we absolutely look at the liver chi. We can calm that. We can smooth that out. We can make that nicer, a nicer flow, which means we can create better disharmony in the body. So liver is impacted a hell of a lot um, and it's probably something that you would see you can recognize it easier in in a human um than rather than feeling it on a pulse as an example or looking at it on the tongue or mm. looking at the way their emotions are it's it's certainly um a reaction it's often manifesting in um it could be obsessiveness it could be um ways of uh trying to slow things down but you're out of control the liver is impacted by that. And if the liver is impacted, it will affect the other organs. The heart is another one of those that's affected. Um, yeah. The heart is much like in Western medicine, responsible for, um, well, the spirit, the shen. It's in, it's in that part of your body which uh, allows you to open up. Uh, it's about joy and accepting joy. And if uh, the heart is affected, it affects the blood. We get constraint, we can't breathe, shortness of breath. Um, we have all those signs and symptoms that tell us that the yin and yang are, are out of balance. So yeah, the kidneys, okay. the liver, they're all related. One of the things that a lot of women experience when they're going through perimenopause and menopause is um, these bursts of emotion. So some people experience grief, some people experience anger. And you and I both have the view that, and, I, and many people hold this view, that we've not really been taught to um, express perceived negative emotions. And I'm using bunny fingers when I say this. Um, yeah, we're, we, we just repress, right, or over-dramatise. So learning to have a grounded relationship with anger is actually an incredibly powerful thing to do because you're expressing your boundaries and allowing people to be sad and like I'm always kind of spun out at funerals where you go into a funeral I'm usually the person that cries the whole time but so many people just have no access to their sadness and that very stoic kind of Victorian western expression yeah hold it and in. I think if you look at um, a lot of tribal 
ceremonies where someone has passed and they're going through their ceremony for that there's a lot of emotional expression and loud yeah loud just cathartic letting it out yeah um and i guess i i you know i do a lot of work with women in coaching them is helping them to have to learn to have a grounded expression of their emotions and like there's loads of different sessions i can do with people around that and it's super super powerful because repressing is not resilient i think we think it's resilient but actually repressing just pushes it down into your unconscious and then it's not processed and so i i you know what i see is it's all this stuff coming out of the unconscious when they're having these grief or these anger or whatever, it just wants to come up. It's like the unconscious saying, heal me, heal me, like, let me out. It's time. Deal with it now. What's your view on that? Um, I, there's, that, my brain was going in many different directions there for the fact that um, from recently being at a, um, at a funeral family member, I recognised that um, my mum, who is from New Guinea, that side of the family, they are howlers. So loud, that sort of letting out, that's really normal. Um, yeah. My dad's side of the family is that repressed, hold it in because I look like I've got my shit together and I'm in control. That seems to be really significant and important about keeping face, essentially. Yeah. Um, what I see also in birth, and I recognise it from my own births, that um, very much in my first one, I didn't want to be the screamer. My theory is that babies are in a nice, dark environment, so I really don't want them to come out in that environment. And I thought it was important to keep everything internal because it's like being in the zone. Um, where essentially there was noises coming out of me that I would never have recognised if I was conscious of them, yeah? A lot of the times I remember saying, tell that person to be quiet because that noise is really uh, <laughs> it's putting me off. And my husband would say, that's actually you, um, and think that was quite amusing. So I think when we hold things in, absolutely that creates, it, it not only creates an issue in the body, but it creates a disconnection with the emotion. And so if we can't easily show anger, if we can't show sadness or grief, um, absolutely it becomes repressed and that will impact the body. And it shows up. It becomes a great diagnostic tool in Chinese medicine. So um, it's a way of understanding how emotions will affect um, health. And for any health disease, and that goes back to um, any health disease that occurs, it's something that has travelled throughout the body. It's something that it hasn't just started. It's been manifesting. Yeah. And for whatever reason, it's now deciding to emerge. So you need to deal with it. You need to understand it. You know, we, we have things in our bodies that we will hold on forever. And when the universe says it's the right time for it to be corrected, uh, then you need to be able to be open to it. And I think... If we've already got repressed emotions, how do we go at fixing something that can be really frightening or scary in, in the sense of how do I deal with this when we get um, uh, common diseases, diabetes, heart disease, cardiovascular problems, 
um, people are either really shocked by them or they accept them because you know what they're common disease diseases that are in and prominent around Western society so oh well everyone else has got it I'll just go with it right that's an odd way of looking at it but mm. emotions play out in the body really easily and anger is probably the biggest one that I would recognize and grief they're the two biggest ones so um, if, if anger was very apparent uh, and well, I suspected that it was a problem. I would see symptoms such as um, dizziness or there's a headache. Um, maybe there might be, particularly we're talking about perimenopause, you know, women who um, are in situations where they're uncomfortable, they get that redness around their neck, around their throat yeah. chakra. Um, yeah. You know, they're things that represent to me there's, there's a problem, not only with communication, expression, um, but there's resentment there. And it's all that chi is rising up, you know, the liver is a very fascinating uh, one um, and, it, and it displays very quickly, very easily. You can see it in many different ways. The same as if we're worrying or if we're dwelling on something, if we're uh, ruminating with excess <clears throat> mental thought, then um, the digestion would be impacted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. if, if someone is a worrier um, or an analyzer, their gut will be impacted. Um, it will affect their bowels, uh, how they metabolize, it's really interesting how we can, the body tells us everything all the time. It's, this is nothing new. This has been around for thousands of years. Yeah. Um, we're just a little bit slow to pick up on it. We also have to remember <laughs> Western medicine is very, it's very immature. It's not very old, um, but it's taken away a lot of focus of um, us checking in with ourselves and recognizing. That's a really good way of explaining it. Um, to segue a little bit, so I'm thinking about reproductive cycles. We were talking a little bit about it earlier. And I was listening to um, another podcast the other day. Jane Hardwick Collins was talking about um, how we experienced our first period, so the, the rite of passage of MENA and the link that that has on our birth experience, the link that that then has on our experience of menopause, but all the rites of passage that we go through. And I'm really curious to understand what your thoughts are around this, around um, what you observe with people and how that shows up in them. Yeah, I think... My first thoughts when we talk about it in that way is that women have been absolutely repressed um, and that we've gone into our lives or being taught in what we see and hear and that our human, our own particular bodies are not of importance. And so there's a lot of negativity around um, the, the different cycles of life. Um, I think we are, um, we don't, we miss the connection. We're not given the ability to understand the human body, its capacity, what it's able to do. And that what happens in these cycles is a huge representation of um, not only how we view ourselves, but also our health. A mm. healthy uh, menstrual cycle um, absolutely indicates the health of your own body. It also mm. shows what we think about ourselves as maybe not only as women, but as where we are placed in society, what our, what our purpose is. 
Um, so period pain is probably one of the hugest aspects, most common aspects I would see in clinic. And what fascinates me more is that women think it is normal. Pain mm. in any part of your body tells you there's something not right. Yeah. yeah. About it. And if you've got a pain in your lower abdominal, which occurs 12 times a year, um, isn't that enough for you to go, well, actually, why does that happen? But the conversation that gets talked about is that it's normal. And if one person has it, then we nearly all expect that everybody should have it. That's what's talked about in young girls. And that's what carries yeah. on into uh, adulthood. And it's fine to talk about those sorts of things, but I think it's also important to have the people that go, well, hang on, my mum says that this isn't normal and that if there's pain, then we need to do something about it. It's something, something's not working. We need to investigate. Um, and there's different ways of doing that. But I think that we have not got enough knowledge and that girls are predominantly told very basic and shitty information. I know, I know that from, I've got an 11 year old who is so excited about when a period's going to start. We talk about it constantly. Um, my view is that if she's going to have this for the next 30 plus years, why talk about it in a negative? Why am I going to set her up for that? That sounds mean and cruel, doesn't it? It does. I'm going to, and I continuously talk to her about, this is going to be fantastic, I can't wait. We're going to celebrate it. Um, we're going to ensure that you recognise what it is to have a period, that the transition from being a young child into moving into a teen is so significant. And you want to look yeah. at that. Because then when she moves from being a teen into a young adult, again, another transition, but also exciting. So why are we teaching our young girls about that when they move into different spaces, that it's actually a shitty thing. Why are we not saying, actually, it's amazing? You might not have had the experience of having a good um, period, but <clears throat> why is that put back onto your daughter? I don't see yeah, that. I completely agree with you. And I, it's the cycle awareness that kind of spins me out. Um, I've tracked my periods for a long time. And I've always kept sort of notes around them just so I can, um, I kind of, you know, I love patterns, as you know. Um, and it's it's been interesting to me over the years doing that. And as I'm going through perimenopause, also noticing, so the, the emotions that you experience in the third week. So if you think of your cycle like the seasons, yep. your third week being autumn, um, I always think is like a really good sign of the shadow aspects of yourself. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And so it's a really good mirror to like the shadow side of yourself that you don't see that other people experience. And if you can witness and observe and just notice what's passing through your mind at the same time with your thoughts and note that. Um, and then when, you know, you have your period to just rest and take it easy and not, do too much and I think that's been really helpful for me with perimenopause as well because when I get into a period of busyness I find that my it's a bit with work like if I get too much on and it's an easy thing for me to do because uh, I'm you know love working um 
my perimenopausal symptoms become more pronounced. And so it's always a sign for me to sort of slow down and rest and take more time out for myself. And the thing that was really interesting for me about a month ago, I was on um, one of my breathwork teacher training sessions for a week. No symptoms, whole week, nothing. Slept well. Of course, we had all our food prepared. It was beautiful. But the chair is calm, yeah? The yeah, exactly. is relatively moving nicely. So it's absolutely, I think, for women to track. I mean, tracking sounds like it's quite harsh, doesn't it? But if they can write down little, little notable things, such as it's day 12, and my boobs ache like anything, that's really yeah. Because day 12, 13, you notice I've got a little bit of cervical mucus. I'm probably ovulating. But then you, you get to just before the period comes and you think, God, my tummy feels bloated. I want to scratch the eyes out of any person that looks at me. The chi is erratic, yeah? So your yeah. body is telling you, calm the fuck down, yeah? Slow yeah. down because you're about to move into a phase that's going to be a transitional moment of this is a letdown. This is easing into the next cycle. Why are you acting like a maniac? Why are you working like a, a man? Why are you training like as though you're going to uh, climb a mountain? Give yourself a break, yeah? There's yeah. nothing wrong with saying, slow down. Yeah. And I think, um, what am I trying to say? Look, uh, one, you know, I always think we like hot flushes and all those symptoms um my friend penny walsh is a naturopath you know she said to me about a year and a half ago we were talking about it that her view is that a hot flush is like burning off the aspects of you that you don't need anymore which i think is a really good way of explaining it but then i was sort of thinking well you know every month in our cycle we go through sort of rebirth like period death you know rebirth life you know we go through that little we have like 12 mini cycles of life every year right going through our body yep. and in a way you know that grumpiness or soreness or whatever is also a really good way of thinking about it is yeah your body's just getting rid of stuff it doesn't need anymore mm. or is it reminding you also that there's something to work on you know yeah very. i like the idea that um you know talking about flushing is you know, essentially that's a lot of, it's a vasodilation in, in Western medicine. In Chinese medicine, it's pretty much, it's that same aspect of this heat moving very quickly through the body and it's just trying to find its place to settle. And I wouldn't use flushing as a, as a, as a way of giving a diagnosis because there has to be other signs that go with it. Yeah. yeah. So in saying that women um, who experience flushing are all one particular pattern is not not how it works. It has to be other factors that go into it. But um, emotional stress would be a huge indicator of why we move into menopause, how our periods began, what our periods have been like, have we been on the pill? All of those things will impact what our menopause is like as well. Okay. Very, very interesting. So... Um... What are some TCM approaches that women can use to better understand what their body is saying to them through the journey of menopause? So what would be some, um, I guess it might be mindfulness practices. It might be um, just different approaches. What would you be thinking when you're talking to people? Um. I think the most important part, and it's one of the things that we probably 
don't go out a lot is to um well much like the second spring sort of suggests it's about taking time to nourish and support the self i feel like uh women are very high achieving nowadays and that's probably in order to compete with that masculine sense mm. and um being able to learn how to nurture and support yourself and know what, what you like and what works for you is a better way of um, moving into uh, not only perimenopause, but menopause much easier. So, you know, hashtag self-care. It's such a huge <laughs> thing at the moment. But if we thought of um, perimenopause as a bit like a superannuation, um, the more cash you put in, then the better you've got for later years. Yeah. So um, I like to think that we have things particularly as we get older, there's things that we don't like to budge on. There's things that we really feel like are uh, important and essential in our life. And those types of things should be uh, things that you do for yourself and that you, uh, that only, not only enhance you, but allow the, the chi and the yin and the yang to be in balance. So I absolutely advocate uh, meditation. Mm -hmm. um, and, and with that comes mindfulness and breath work. Um, to me, they're their own little their own little circle. One flows into the other. But meditation, um, for the fact that it regulates the nervous system, and meditation or even just breath in itself is a way of regulating the body. And what I see nowadays is that human beings don't know how to regulate it's the quickest way to be able to cope with situations. So for my, my kids in particular, regulating for them is breath. Um, my, uh, all of them use breath and particularly in situations where they feel like they are out of control, that they can't mm. gain space or be grounded. So meditation is absolutely something that I would do every day. And I encourage people to do it every day. And, you know, we've got, the same number of hours in a day. I'm no different from you or from anyone else. Even if you could get five minutes in, five what's five minutes? That's just a moment of sitting and being. Correct. It's not. It's not different. It's not difficult. Um, I like to think that if we can brush our teeth twice a day, why can't we meditate twice a day? Yeah. Mm. Create a trigger. Um, I'm very keen on food. Um, yeah. Eating is. Uh, you know, there's a great doco on at the moment about vegetarianism and uh, I know that's impacted a lot of people. It's talked about a lot in clinic. Um, I think it's really significant. We also have to remember that we have to eat according to constitution. Yeah, what works for you might not work for me. Um, mm -hmm. People who choose not to eat meat, who don't want to eat animal products, who don't want to eat gluten or can't eat gluten, um, that's eating for themselves and it's no one else's um, issue at all. I am very keen on eating according to the seasons. Um, I always give the analogy of, you know, in, in wintertime, we uh, really, we, we move into hibernation mode, which means yeah. we eat foods that are going to sustain us. We, we will eat a roast dinner with root vegetables, all of those um, types of things that are nourishing and supporting and warming um, to sustain you through the cold months. When we get to summer, Christmas as an example, for some reason we go ahead and we eat a roast dinner. It's not only friggin' hot, but it's a very heavy meal where we should be eating something light and cooling, like a salad or seafood. Mm -hmm. But that's, you know, traditionally, that's what we tend to go towards. 
it's the same as eating or buying watermelon in winter time. This is a watery, cold fruit. Why the heck are we actually doing that in winter? It's damaging to the digestive system. It's so cooling and unproductive for the gut. It closes it down. Yeah, the gut yeah. is like a little pot and we're putting it out. So we should just be eating it in summer. So food should be done uh, according to your constitution and understanding that that would, you know, it's coming from a very Chinese medicine aspect. But when you recognize that perhaps it's easier for you to consume foods that are warm in temperature and cooked, or maybe you don't, you know, if we're going through a perimenopausal state, we're getting a lot of flushing, then certainly foods that are heating like chilies and uh, hot spices, they're going to make things even hotter. Why even? Yeah. So understanding what food does is really important. So food is another big thing for me that I eat according to the seasons. I eat according to my constitution. I also have to cook for children. So I have to understand that their guts are immature and I need to produce foods that are not only nourishing, but um, are going to enable them to grow and develop. In saying that, I'm also very conscious of that we're getting enough fats, carbs and proteins. That's mm -hmm. also in the back of my mind as well. Movement is my other one. Um, movement is about moving the chi. So when the liver chi is smooth, we know that things flow better. And absolutely, if we're moving, that's better. One thing that I find very difficult to understand is women in their 30s who work in very um, high mentally stressed jobs who do F45 five times a week. What's um, F45? I don't know what that F45, is, sorry. It's, it's uh, exercise. It's excessive exercise. It's a program. Um, yeah. 25 minutes of intense, high intensity. Oh, like a heat class. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah. um, work and life is very yang already. We're already up in the head. So then yeah. we have to do this exercise, which not only depletes our adrenals, sucks the life out of our hormones, uses up all of our energy, which we don't actually have because we've used it at work. So women are in adrenal fatigue a lot of the time. So when we move into perimenopause, it's actually not very nice because they don't yeah. have energy or the sustenance to get through that. So for me in particular, I used to be one of those people that did all that yang because to me, if you didn't uh, raise your heart, heart rate, if you didn't uh, have um, you know great biceps, well, then you weren't working out properly. But mm -hmm. I find more yin based activities such as very big on yoga uh, not only stretches the body concentrates on breath it's a meditative process it's challenging for me mentally because I take note of what my mind is a lot of things of what it's saying um, I also uh, walking it could be things like qigong tai chi you do qigong don't you Kelly I yeah I do yeah. so being able to slow down the nervous system is still uh, gaining some ability to move, move the liver chi, um, but also feel like um, you're supporting the body, body better. So I'm very big on encouraging women that if you have to exercise, maybe cut, cut it back a few sessions. You have to chuck in something that's very passive. You've got to balance mm -hmm. it out. Otherwise, you're going to fall off the end of the pier. So being able to really regulate is probably what it comes down to always, regulating the nervous system because it's on, it's on high alert a lot. Yeah. It, and I think the way, because of technology and the way that we work nowadays, people are in 
um, the stress zone, they're pushing on their window of tolerance a lot. And yep. so they're in that fight and flight and it's constantly really, really unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And um, the modern workplace doesn't really do anything to discourage it. Um, no, they encourage it. <laughs> they encourage it and the power dynamics and the performance management systems and the way that they remunerate and reward people is to always be on all the time. It's really, really unhealthy. It's very unhealthy mentally if you really think about it. If you get this done, then you get this bonus. Yeah. It's a carrot, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's really unhealthy. I think also in, in that understanding yourself better or, or being able to regulate is that you have to have the other little components in there as well, such as being able to relax. You're not very good at that as Westerners. We're actually really shitty at it. So being able to just stop, it's really difficult. Boost the immune system. Um, you know, have fun. Laugh. You know, do things that feel right for you. Um, my other big one would be uh, gratefulness. Mm. It's easier to say thank you than I'm sorry, I think. You know, I'm sorry, I wish I had it. Thank you. Yeah, it goes a long way. It sends off the right hormones in your brain as well. Thank you as a good Yeah, one. totally. Mm. I think um, it was interesting for me when I was on my breathwork training a month ago because <laughs> where we were, technology wasn't really working for everyone. <laughs> and so I was only able to text home much to my husband's displeasure. He couldn't talk to me. Um, but, um, God, it was so relaxing and my brain felt so good after just having those eight days of not being on really on my phone at yeah. all. Yeah. It was, you know, and just talking to people and, you know, doing lots of breathing, which is always really cathartic. And, um, yeah, it was super super nourishing it was kind of super intense but it was super nourishing at the same time but that ability to be away from a phone is also very freeing yeah that's a conversation that i hear a lot of we went away we didn't have any coverage for three days and it felt weird but actually really good really good yeah taken away by that bloody thing yeah i know (laughs) actually i was looking at um with some of my notes from breathwork training and um they had a slide of a, a man or like a body with looking at their phone and they had it like in different, um, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of how much your head <laughs> tilts forward and you're looking, yep. but at like a five degree tilt, you're like, your neck's carrying something like 20 kilos, right? Looking at that all the time. And I'm thinking, holy cow, this is so bad for yeah. people's <laughs> neck and shoulders to be like constantly walking around looking at these stupid things all the time. You know, the average head is around four and a half kilos and when we're in the normal anatomical position and when you start dropping that forward because you're looking at a phone, because you're on a computer, because you're intently working, um, it obviously then doubles and mm. in terms of weight. So we hold our heads up on our own all the time. When we put a kink in our spinal cord from dropping that neck or that head forward, again, how does the chi flow nicely? How do you get that connection of information running up to your brain quite smoothly? You don't. It's impacted greatly. And I think, you know, technology is kind of doing a disservice to the human body. I often say to my children, you children, I'd be not even surprised if you all turned out dumb for the fact that your phone, it can add up. (laughs) It can speak for you. It can um, spell. You don't have to do anything. Just ask your phone to do it. Yeah? You don't have to write. Ask Siri. Ask Siri or 
Yeah, literacy is down nowadays and um, handwriting is atrocious. People can't spell. Blame, <laughs> blame Apple. <laughs> how, do you, how do you see women are connected to their inner feminine? So I, you know, a lot of what I see is a lack of connection to our feminine in men and women, both of us. Um, and so how does that lack of connection show up in the body? What, does, what do you notice with that? If we go back to um, the idea of chi, we can see that if there's disconnection, then it'll manifest as a symptom. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, menopausal signs are an indication to me that the chi is blocked and it's not flowing. And so we relate it back to, I guess, patterns. And so for someone who is... Um, say that have had weight gain um, they're also got painful breasts um, maybe their joints are stiff um, their memory is a little bit off they can't quite remember what happened <laughs> the day before uh, a depressive mood we would consider that there's some sort of stagnation um, uh -huh. there's dampness produced in the body and then if that person really loves to eat cheese on crackers and is really attracted to ice cream um, we're adding more damp into the body so the signs and symptoms that crop up tell me that you've got an issue with damp and we need to drain that mm. um, so disconnection is it's all it's we're not free from, from disconnection, I think. We're not free from signs and symptoms. It's just being able to tap into them and, and recognise them. So I wonder if we could recognise those things that happen to us. We could tap in and go, what does that actually mean? You don't have to... It's not common knowledge to understand what um, dryness, vaginal dryness would be. It's just simply says to Western medicine, it's a, uh, it's a lubrication problem that comes from estrogen. Yeah. yeah. Um, for me, it could mean that the yin is insufficient and it's drying out everything in the body. Yeah. We're also talking oh. about, yeah. And so those little signs and symptoms create a pattern and everything that happens in your life, down to the environment, down to your little inner circle of um, family, friends, work, they all give me a clue as to what sort of pattern that produces. So every sign is put together, creates a diagnostic. That's why we ask lots of ridiculous questions about what does your poo look like? Um, do you have uh, potting in your period blood? How long is the cycle? Like, do you spot beforehand? And is that a little bit brown? Um, and when you've got your period, what colour is that? Is it really like bright red? But these are not symptoms um, that are discussed properly within a doctor, are they? But it's no. not like I'm just being gross and nosy. But that's a diagnostic. I'm just yeah. interested in those signs and symptoms and then recognising what the, the disconnection is. Excellent. Your face I... did a funny thing then, like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I ran out of questions. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? We've well, had such a good chat. We talk about so many things all the time. Absolutely. I think um, 
really, I, I really want to give it to women that as much as perimenopause, it's, it's a really shit word. Um, understand that we, it's, it's a part of life and it's not a bad thing. For every woman that I've treated who I recognise is in um, that stage of transitioning to the second spring, that when they see their doctor, <clears throat> and whether they're male or female, um, they really give a derogatory um, response in terms of perimenopause. And I think that doesn't help women. And mm. when we talked earlier about being listened to or having choice, that's what women require and they need to be listened to that when they've got these signs that it actually doesn't mean they're going to um, fade away into the shadows. It just means this is actually really exciting and that perimenopause mm. is not something that just happens. It's something that's quite gradual. It's from the time of, you know, your late 30s onwards. It's actually a really good thing and to really change your view about, what that means and transition into it nicely might maybe even have the goal of you know what those next few years are going to be fantastic because I'm going to really take care of myself and the quicker that you learn to do that the better you'll have as a as an older adult yeah nobody wants to be sitting in a nursing home feeling unwell um, sometimes that happens of course but if we can put some strategies and um, things in place in order to have a better um, transitional then why not do it? Why, why wait? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think so, like so much of our society worships youth. And yes, we want to be young. We want to look yeah. young. We don't want to have bloody wrinkles and we want to have great skin and we want to have flat stomachs and um, we want to be able to have boobs that sit up underneath our mouths. Um, <laughs> Again, we've taken away the ability to love your body for what it's done. My body has housed poor humans and, um, you know, I guess I, I nearly find it odd when people say, gosh, you don't look like you've had four children. And I think, what am I supposed to look like? You know, what is your interpretation? Exactly. Of that? Yeah. yeah. Too young to have had children. Like, when did you have them? I know that I don't look like my age, whatever that means. I know that my body, when you look at it with clothes on, doesn't look like it's had children. <laughs> but I also recognise that um, it's done a job. And if, you know, my children are obsessed, my younger girls are obsessed by what my body does and what <laughs> it looks like. I know my son is impressed by the strength in my body that if we had an arm wrestle, I'd absolutely kill him in that. And, <laughs> and I can do things that he thinks probably majority of women that he knows don't do for the fact that, I've decided my body will do whatever any other human being can do. Mm. We kind of take away power from it by saying we need to change it. When mm. well, it's what it is, I'm not. Bothered. Yeah, I think so. And I think you know, there's so many beautiful things about the midlife journey um, in terms of what it avails you if you take the opportunity. Um, and where you can go, both mentally and physically, yeah. in terms of self-love, self-acceptance, you know, <coughs> improve the depth and connection in your relationships, um, to be present, to just enjoy life. And the other thing I've noticed when I look at a lot of my female friends 
in um, their 50s and 60s is that a lot of them have just absolutely hit their stride post-menopause yep. and have created businesses and have, <coughs> you know, birthed all, you know, research, literature, just done amazing things and they've got all this energy and I look at them and think, wow, they're just incredibly inspirational. Absolutely. And whilst this might be, you know, challenging these couple of years and I might feel more tired than I normally do and maybe I can't work as much, but, you know, it's nice to enjoy present to myself and going for walk great thing to do and so yeah with that in mind knowing <coughs> what's around the corner there's nothing bad about it no really. absolutely i i look forward to it because i feel like that i've done many things in my life but predominantly that i'm raising children to be awesome human beings and that's my focus besides caring for you know numerous amounts of people in a clinic my role in this life is, is it's a mothering role, but it's also one of, um, you know, bringing the justices to people and, and getting people to recognise that there's, there's things that we need to stand up for and there's things we need to speak up about. So mm. for me, I feel like that's my space where I'm moving into that. I'm still caring for young kids, but I also feel myself setting myself up for my second spring that um, to me, it sounds exciting that, um, being able to look forward to something that I know is not going to happen for some time. Well, I, I'm assuming um, <laughs> it's exciting to think that that's coming for me. My focus is right now. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. But my view on my life is that it's going to be great. It's going to be even better. It's about stepping into myself and being more of me rather than having to keep sharing myself all the time, which is what I do. Mm. I don't have a problem mm. with that. Um, but I do recognise it's very significant to be able to take yourself away from that moment of having to mother and care and do it for yourself and allow others yeah. to do it for yourself. For yeah. you, that's probably the harder part in saying, I actually need you to help me do this. Yes. Um, we're not good at that either, are we? No, not at all. No. If people wanted to track you down, what's the best way to find you through social media? Can you give us... They little Instagram. Instagram, which is Dr. Nick Pauly, which is Dr. Nick, N-I-C, um, Pauly, P-A-W-L-E-Y. You can also mm -hmm. find me at uh, Soul Podge Health and Healing, which is in Richmond. Uh, that's where I live a lot of my life. Um, it's an absolute beautiful um, clinic to be in, a space that uh, energetically will revive just from simply being in there. It's it's, it is beautiful. So you have to love what you do. I love what I do and I love where I, I go to do it. And so uh, work for me is not work. It's pleasure. It's enjoyable. I get to talk all day. So um, <laughs> it's a double bonus. Um, that's in Richmond. And um, you can simply Google that and find that. Um, but if you ever, yeah, anybody needs to find me, that's where I am most of the time. Thank you so much. That was so interesting. Thank you. It's uh, good to talk about uh, Chinese medicine and get it out there a little bit more. Make it a more normal thing rather than something so magical and uh, underground. Um, yeah, for me, exactly. it's an everyday life. And for my children, absolutely. I love listening to them talk to others about what I do and what is normal in our house is not normal in others. So um, <laughs> being able to talk more about Chinese medicine is what I would absolutely love to get out to others. So thank you for having me.
You are so welcome. So welcome. <laughs>